Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of Serenity Lane's podcast, Voices of Recovery. We start this season in the month of November, a month of gratitude and the start of the holiday season. We'll be focusing on some stories of gratitude and sharing tips for staying sober and sane through the holidays. Today's episode features Jill R., who is facing her first holiday season sober. We talked about what brought her to treatment and her plan for a safe, joyous, and sober holiday season. My name is Jill. My sobriety date is June 19th of 18, so I'm 142 days today. I tried about a year before I actually got sober. Uh, Well, two years prior to that, my dad passed away. And that's when my drinking really took a big turn for the bad. And he, after that happened, I started drinking on a daily basis and hiding it. And I, about a year into that binge of drinking, I called a a hotline, AA hotline. And funny, I called the same number like six times because I wanted to get a different answer every time. And now I do um, community work. I I actually answer the phones for a diverter. And now I realize I was talking to the same person all six times. (laughs) But I just wanted them to tell me I could just get control of my drinking. And nobody gave me that answer. And I saw a grief counselor, and they said, you need to stop drinking. And I remember I had a journal that I brought to Serenity Lane, and I opened it up, and it was a journal that I started when I started seeing that counselor. And it said... uh, the solution to my problem is to quit drinking, and I never went back to that counselor again, so I continued drinking for another year. As is often the case, Jill's family was a big part of her decision to seek treatment. My husband and I had a conversation. It was about two weeks before my youngest son's graduation from high school, and he said, after uh, your uh, Michael graduates, we're going to have to uh, have some decisions made in the family because we're not willing to live like this anymore. And I was like, he had never said that before. And so when that happened, I said, okay. And then I called Serenity Lane and had an interview over the phone because I thought they were just going to tell me I could cut back. Or, and they're like, and I uh, told them how much I was drinking. And they're like, you don't stop right now. It's dangerous. So I made an appointment and I checked myself in. People often wonder how treatment works. Jill is a great example of what a successful treatment experience looks like. First, she got some professional help in a treatment setting. I did uh, two days in detox and then 28 days in residential. And I really wanted to do Excel, but it didn't work out. And, so, and then after that, I did the 10 weeks of um, IOP. And then Jill kept going. She went from not being willing to quit drinking to being open and willing to follow any suggestion that might help her stay sober. She began doing the work to build a foundation in recovery before she even left treatment. And I'm currently in recovery support. I got my sponsor before I left Serenity Lane, started working my steps before I left. I did uh, 90 meetings in 90 days. I did, I've done, if anybody suggests anything to me, I do it. No, and some of it's ridiculous. I'm like, this is not going to help me. But I'm like, okay, you said you wanted to quit and those are the people you want to be like, so give it a try. You might be wondering, what kind of ridiculous suggestions are we talking about? Uh, Yeah, pray for people that have hurt me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would I ever pray for that person? 
But and my sponsor was like, just start, and I want you to do it for two weeks. And she also said, you can't pray that they get hit by a truck. You have to pray, you know, that they're joyous, happy, and free. And I thought that was ridiculous. And I started doing it, and that was the second week I get out of Serenity Lane, so like the middle of July. And I still pray for that person every night. And I only had to do it for two weeks, but I still pray for that person because I have a different point of view about it now. Some other suggestions that Jill followed that have become part of her daily routine. I reach out every day. Another suggestion from my sponsor is I need to talk to one person off a phone list from AA every day. So I call a complete stranger every day and just check in with them that I've met at a meeting or their name's on a list. So I do that. Um, I've My friend base has changed a lot. I've surrounded myself with uh, like-minded people. And... Oh, I read um, every morning. It's actually on my phone, I, page 84 to 87. I listen to that every morning as I do my makeup. I'm really open about things. So for me, the more people that know what I need, the better it is. So I'm, I can't hide and isolate because that's what I did. I hid and drank. So I want to make sure everybody knows more accountability. Mm-hmm. Jill shared some of her thoughts on spirituality, including how she learned to pray and the feeling of trust that has come with a spiritual practice. I grew up in a, a Christian family. We had a belief. We didn't go to church often, but there was a, a spiritual belief in the family. Uh, I didn't really know how to pray. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know any of that. Um, I found I found my God while at Serenity Lane, and that has been huge to me. I've learned how to I've learned how to pray. I learned that you don't really pray for yourself; you kind of pray for others and for the for things just to happen. And since I've started uh, doing that daily, I do meditation every day, and then I pray. Things just kind of have unfolded in front of me. I've started this new kind of side business with a friend and it has to do with balancing your lifestyle and that would have never happened before and it's not from me. I know this thoughts aren't coming from me so I know I believe that my higher power is putting things forward for me to move on and stay sober. Jill is a social person. She is a born connector. With this in mind, it was natural that she would bring her inclination for organizing people and events to her first sober holiday. Most importantly though, She has a plan. What I like to do is have a script in my head of how things are going to go. So I have a plan. So if they go this way, this is what I'll say or this is what I'll do. And I practice that. Um, For Thanksgiving, I am surrounding myself with sober friends. I'm having uh, two friends that I've met at rehab. They're coming. They don't have family here. They're in the Oxford house. And uh, one's from Idaho and one's from Washington. And I'm going to have both of them over for Thanksgiving with my family. So for me, surrounding myself and giving, um, my family is, um, they will be sober Thanksgiving, so they won't be drinking. Uh, and try to not so much focus on the drinking. I'm trying really hard to just focus on life. Like drinking is a part of it, and it's not part of mine anymore. So I don't, I don't, it's not in every one of my thoughts anymore. So then uh, for me, the next holiday Christmas is going to be harder. Uh, my dad passed on December 5th, 
So that's a, that's a hard holiday for me. Uh, same thing, though. I'm going to surround myself and try to think about the good things about it. I had a really pretty good, I had a good childhood, have a lot of great memories. And I don't want to cloud that with one bad day. So, and I'm not willing to give up my sobriety for a day of drinking. It's, it's just not worth it. I, I won't do it. And while Jill hasn't planned as far ahead as New Year's Eve, she has a good playbook. Because New Year's prior to this were, you know, big, big drinking days, especially with football the following day. Um, I would expect it's going to be, and what I didn't say before is before I go to meetings still every day. I still, even though my 90 and 90 is technically up with my sponsor, I don't stop going because I'm, I don't want that to be the one thing that is the thing that's working for me. So I'm always afraid to stop something. So I'm just going to keep doing it. So maybe on New Year's, I might double up on a meeting. I'd love to see, um, like for Halloween, there was a Halloween dance through AA. And that was that's those kinds of things. So I'm assuming there may be an AA um, a party and going to a sober party and being able to dance and have a good time. Uh, because I find myself when I'm with people that are through AA and that I went to recovery with, I have a real tight group of friends that I went through Serenity Lane with. We're we're just as crazy still. And I was afraid I had lost that completely, but it's not gone at all. And we're just as crazy. You just remember everything now, which is nice. And you don't have to be embarrassed the next day. <laughs> yeah. I look. For, that's another thing that keeps me sober through the holidays, I'm hoping. I don't have to apologize the next morning. I won't have to ask what I did or who I did it to or, you know, what I, I, I just, I look forward to ha- waking up with a clear conscience, remembering a, you know, really good evening. Jill shared another really big part of her recovery, which was being able to enjoy something that used to be a big drinking trigger. I love, uh, duck games are really one of, one of the triggers I identified while I was in Serenity Lane was going to be uh, football. And so I made a lot of plans around football and it's worked out perfectly so far so I uh, I gave up my season ticket which was really big for me for a whole year um, I have a friend that I met in Serenity Lane and she comes over for every away a home game and we have ourselves a, a party and watch the game and don't drink and then this Saturday I have I have probably about 16 people that are all from Serenity Lane and they're all coming over to my house, and we're having a duck party. I, I started a Facebook page, and it's called, um, well, it's well, it's Serenity Survivors, and it's anybody that's gone through Serenity Lane, and it's private, you know, and we all keep in touch that way. And there's probably about forty of us now, but about fifteen of them are coming, and we're having a big party on Saturday. So that's I just surround myself with the people I like. Jill talked a little about her experience setting boundaries while being in recovery and protecting her anonymity. It was easy with family. I was really straightforward with them. Um, I was said earlier, I had a good childhood. I have a good family, uh, a, a close family. And I include in that my husband's family, who are my family. We've been together 23 years. So, well, actually 25, married 23. So they're part of my family. And they all knew I had a drinking problem, too. I mean, I thought I was hiding it, but... You can't hide that much alcohol. So um, as far as colleagues, there I've told three people. I, I work in a place where I'm not sure how it would be taken. It's, I'm just not sure if uh, – I don't know how it would impact my career. 
And so I've told three people who are my friends that I see outside of work. But other than that, I haven't told many people at work. And I think it's a need-to-know basis. If I, And I think the reason that it might change is if I see that maybe somebody needs to hear my story and I feel like it's going to help them, then I might share it. But other than that, I'm not sure that I would share it at work. While Jill got sober in treatment, she recognizes that her recovery will be an ongoing journey. It's not just serenity lane and you're done. It's not a one-and-done thing. Um, I'm also, I have personal therapy, I have marriage counseling, AA meetings, meetings with my sponsor. You you know, it's just ongoing. But I did, uh, my husband and I read a book, uh, The Language of Love, which was really interesting. So that, it's not really an AA book. However, it's part of healing our marriage. So. Jill's advice to anyone thinking about getting sober? There's this part in the book that says, if you have tried these things, and the first time I read that, I kind of felt like somebody had crawled in my head and wrote down everything I had tried to quit drinking. You know, one was, uh, did you try and drink wine and not beer, brandy and not this, uh, only drink on the weekends, don't only drink on the weekday, only drink uh, after 6 p.m. I mean, there was all these things, and I, every one of them was a check mark for me. And then the real, you know, the first, um, the first, no step you know is your life unmanageable that really if you my life if your life is unmanageable like I had no manageability at all in my life things were completely falling apart and the fact that I could not um I could not go a day without drinking I became physically ill for me that was a I mean that was a really hard thing but then again I knew that six me six months before I made the call. And so for me, it just, I guess I had to process it. But making that call from the minute the first person answered the phone to today, it's the best decision, one of the best decisions I've made in my life. And everybody, everybody has been so helpful. And I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to expect because I didn't know anything about rehab. I don't know anybody in my family that went to AA. There, there's been alcoholics in my family, but not, you know, that wanted to get help. I thought, I honestly thought that you checked in and they put you in a room for 28 days and you hung out in there and got sober and then you left. That's really what I thought was going to happen. And what happened instead? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I learned who I was. I had no idea that I would dig so deep and bring out so many skeletons and realize why I was having the issues I was having at age 49, things that happened when I was 14. I had no I, I had no expectations of telling anybody those secrets that I had, but getting them out and being able to deal with them. And then all the, the group counseling and the camaraderie between the people, the bond that you make with people there is amazing. Amazing. Beyond the medical and clinical work that goes into treatment, Jill touched upon the foundational element, the transformative part of real recovery, the end of isolation and connections with other people. My roommate, uh, from the minute we met, we're, she doesn't live here, she lives in Portland, but soulmates, it was just like a, a God shot that we were put together. It was pretty amazing going through those things with somebody and being able to talk about it and not realizing realizing you're not alone that everybody and you you'll tell a story that you feel like is 
the minute you tell it, you're going to be judged and nobody's, you're going to be a horrible person and you tell it. And then, you know, later somebody's like, you know, I did the same thing. And I'm like, what? You feel so normal for the first time. Different. I've always been different. I didn't know like eccentric or, you know, I've been out there kind of. Um, but I like I my first drink was at 14 ish. Um, before that, I I've definitely had an addict brain my whole life. I'm obsessive about things like latch on to things really easily. Um, being uh, different than everybody else, trying to pretend you're the same is really hard. Putting keeping that mask on your whole life is difficult, and it's shown in lots of ways in my life. And um, my ability to be honest with people. I didn't even know how to be honest to myself. That was getting, like when I said getting to know myself for the first time was pretty amazing. I wasn't as horrible as I thought I was because you pretend for so long. Um, my physical health paid a price because I hid in food. Um, I had a gambling problem, you name it. You know, I, I'm an addict of whatever is put in front of me. But walk, like I said, walking into that room with people, it's an automatic, <sighs> I found my people and they say things that I'm like, yes, that's exactly how I feel or how I think. And for so long, you think that that's just not normal. And I find out it is, it's normal for somebody that's has an addiction problem. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really nice to find people that are like-minded. Finally, Jill shared her recipe for the perfect day. I start the mornings, game days, I start most mornings, I pray. And I ask my God to direct my thoughts and what comes out of my mouth to be his, because mine usually aren't right. Um, on game day, I get my nails done, and I usually get a view of, oh, uh, I get ducks or I get something on my nails. So that's something that makes me feel special that... Uh, I can still still participate, and it's fun for me. Um, on Thanksgiving, I actually started this four years ago, but I, it will stay. Uh, instead of um, after we eat, instead of sitting and eating the pie and having drinks, uh, now this will be the new one, having drinks, but before it was just instead of eating the pie, we would get up and we'd go for a walk. And then when we come back, do dishes, and then I can avoid the the extra drinking and the extra eating um and something that you know i i think being surrounded by friends of mine that are going to be there that are sober too we're going to be able to talk and just talking about sometimes talking i don't like the war story and like oh i used to do this i used to do that but it's sometimes nice to remember where you came from and i'm looking forward to sitting with them and talking about look at us here like the you know we're all sitting at this table and there's no wine on the table and we're having a good time just a lot of conversation. Jill's advice for anyone new, share, speak up, let people know where you're at. It will help you and it may help someone else. Share. When you're at meetings, talk up because people will approach you afterwards. And like I said, you may be going through something and think you're the only one in the world going through it. And it's just not true. There's so many people that can relate to it, and they they will always help you. I can always find somebody that's gone through something pretty similar to what I've gone through, and I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't share. Jill shared some of her New Year's resolutions or goals. 
Um, I'd probably call them goals rather than resolutions. Um, I think my goals will uh, be surrounded about um, service work. Um, right now I hold a service position. I answer the diverter phone um, on Saturday. Like It's funny, every fifth Saturday of the month, and there's only a couple of those. But I find real enjoyment from that, and I feel real uh, like I'm giving back because I was one of those people that called, so I know what it's like to be on the other end of that line. So I'll probably make some goals about service work. I'd like to get deeper into AA. I, I know that from past things that I've gone through, with different addictions that if I leave the community that I surround myself with, then I, it will all have problems. So I need to make sure I stay committed and stay surrounded by those people. So that will probably be my goals will be to dive deeper into service work. In closing, Jill shared a little of her daily gratitude list. When I first started it, when I was in Serenity Lane, you know, you're grateful for you you can't think of things to be grateful for because I was such in a deep, dark, ugly place. I mean, I wasn't grateful for, for very many things. And then, you know, the more time I got and the more my brain cleared and the fog was lifted, I'm grateful for so many things. Things that, you know, I'm grateful this morning that my car started and that I have a heater in it. I would never have thought of that before. You know, that was just, I would have been ungrateful that I don't have the car of my dreams. So your perspective changes on things. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to leave us a review. It helps other people find our show. Thanks to this week's alumni guest, Jill R., and our recording crew at Sprout City Studios. If you would like to be a guest on the show or learn more about our alumni program, visit our website, serenitylane.org forward slash alumni. Or find us on Facebook at Voices of Recovery Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.